This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. There is nothing better than watching a TDS-inflicted Democrat perform an embarrassing cell phone whilst trying to preserve democracy even better when that Democrat is the number two in charge in California, of all places. The show starts now. Folks, you know it. I know it. Ever since Donald Trump announced his candidacy in 2015, the leftists had been tag-teaming their witch hunts against him. Four Colorado activist judges tagged in on that front this week with their pathetic stunt to remove Trump from the ballot. And since, other states have been anxious to follow suit. States like Maine and, no surprise here, California. But here's where it gets funny, albeit funny in a super embarrassing way. California Lieutenant Governor Eleni Kunalakis, who spends most of her time living in the shadow of Gavin's hair gel, penned this letter to California Secretary of State imploring him to remove Trump from the state's primary ballot. The entirety of the letter is nauseating to read, but here is my favorite part, the last line, wherein Eleni writes, The Constitution is clear. You must be 40 years old and not an insurrectionist. Oh, Eleni, dearest Eleni. The Constitution actually has an age requirement of 35 to be president, but thank you for allowing us all to take part in your brilliant self-own. Democrats, man, they're so concerned with upholding democracy and the Constitution, but they know very little about either of those things. Joining me now with her take on that and more is Uncover DC Editor-in-Chief and host of the Dark to Light podcast, Tracy Beans. Tracy, it's great to have you. I want to start right off with Colorado Supreme Court, other states wanting to follow suit. They want to kick Trump off the ballot. I mean, this is just the latest in a series of circus acts that these Democrats have tried to perform. What's your take and do you think it's going to hold? So many facets to this, right? It's great to be here, by the way. Um, So look, the Constitution, it, Donald Trump hasn't been declared or found guilty of insurrection anywhere. Therefore, he is not an insurrectionist. And the Constitution was pretty clear that the Congress gets to make or pass a law regarding this particular section of the Constitution surrounding insurrection. He needs to go through a criminal trial and then be found guilty of insurrection before any state government or court can decide that he is an insurrectionist. We have a thing called due process in this country that is clearly, clearly foreign to the left and to activist judges. But that also being said, is this going to be what the Republican Party ends up, you know, spending all of its time doing from here until whenever the election is, should Donald Trump win the primary nomination? It's it's an issue that we all need to talk about, and, and it's important. 
You're right, it is important, and I want to get to the poll numbers uh, later as well, but I also want to talk about this whole notion of the insurrection insurrection on January 6th. You bring up a good point, not charged with insurrection, and all the witch hunts is against him, not charged with insurrection, and also it was actually Miranda Devine yesterday that brought this up on, on Twitter, on X, and I thought it was an interesting point. If insurrection is to overthrow the government, at that time Donald Trump was still the president, so is he overthrowing <laughs> himself? I mean, and then also there's the point of peacefully and patriotically let your voices be heard. What happened on January 6th was obviously horrendous. Whoever was responsible for it, whether it, it be, you know, an antagonist from the left that were truly in the crowd or if it was a mixture of both with some Trump supporters in there acting poorly. I mean, we'll never really know. But the fact that they're calling this an insurrection on the heels of 2020 when they were so anxious to burn things down in the name of George Floyd Again, the hypocrisy is astounding, but I'm glad you brought up this point about these ongoing legal battles. Um, Ron DeSantis brought this up the other day. I've been saying it for a while through indictment one, two, three, and four. It feels like the left just really wants to solidify support behind Donald Trump, and they know the best way to do that is by going after him relentlessly because that does solidify the base in a primary situation. Do you think that there's something to that, that they want to make Trump the nominee, so they want to make him really popular right now so that they can take him out in a general election? Look, people hate me for this. And it's just it's a topic that we have to broach. Unfortunately, it just is. He's obviously this stuff is all nonsense. The Colorado Supreme Court ruling was was hysterically ridiculous on its face. The justices know that they know it's going to get overturned. That won't stand up for a minute. So I, I tend to agree with you that they're doing this on purpose. Now, getting everybody to realize that and kind of coalesce and decide how to handle it is a different story. But yeah, I mean, if he wins the nomination, we are going to literally spend every waking minute defending President Trump from the horrible you know, persecution he's undergoing. I don't for a minute believe that any of the things that he's being charged with are legitimate. I mean, I followed this stuff way too closely. And, you know, just to your point, the word insurrection, the day that this happened, they started using that word. And I think it's by design to be truthful because there is this was a riot, if anything. It was definitely not an insurrection for many of the reasons you stated and more. But it, it's going to be something we need to think about moving forward. It really is. It is clearly a tactic. The Colorado ruling was ridiculous. It was I, I can't even believe they wrote it and take themselves seriously. I don't think they do. I think they either use this as a media propaganda tool or what you're saying. I, I truly do. Yeah, that's my concern. And now, once again, you have the the Trump supporters, the hardcore Trump supporters on social media saying, okay, they're going after Trump again. That means everybody else needs to drop out. We all need to solidify our support around Donald Trump. And I believe the Democrats love to hear that. I bet they just love to hear that we're going to throw all of our eggs in that basket because they know that they're probably going to get him on something. And they know that your casual voter out there might be a little hesitant to vote for somebody that could be behind bars. Obviously, we know that that would be unjust, but it's still a very real possibility so I want to bring up what Vivek has been saying. He's calling on primary contenders to forfeit the ballot in solidarity with Trump. Let's play it, and then I want your take. I pledge to withdraw from the Colorado GOP primary ballot unless and until Tr Trump's name is restored. And I demand that Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie and Nikki Haley do the same thing. 
or else these Republicans are simply complicit in this unconstitutional attack on the way we conduct our constitutional republic. I refuse to be complicit in that. I think what they're doing is wrong. And I think it's up to Republicans to step up and stand up with a spine for our country's future. That's really what's at stake. First of all, was he sitting on a waterbed or something? I don't know why he was <laughs> rocking back and forth like that. But that aside, the Blair Witch Project aside, I like Vivek mostly because he goes after Nikki Haley. But again, these ridiculous calls that everybody else has to just end their campaign because they're going after Trump. I just find it kind of annoying. It is. It's a virtue signal and it's so petty. And it's sad that so many people fall for this. Look, this is politics 101. This is my personal opinion on this stuff. It is tiring to see. First of all, what is going, what good will come if there are no Republicans yeah. on the ballot in Colorado? What what good will come from that at all? It's almost like you're sacrificing yourself for what? Um, it's just a silly way to try and ingratiate himself to Trump supporters. For what reason? I'm not exactly sure. Perhaps a cabinet position, et cetera. I'm not sure that Vivek will still be on any ballot in, in you know, when we get to Colorado to begin with. So I don't know. I'm just sick of all of this placate, like, you know, trying to get people to placate and do this or else the, these blanket demands. Well, you must do this or else. And then if somebody makes a statement um, saying this is wrong, well, that wasn't good enough. It's 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 tired. It's old. Stop. I'm just I'm so tired of it. And I want to bring up a scenario that I think is kind of a likely one. What worries me, if for some reason Donald Trump happened to not be our nominee, now that seems far-fetched given the polls num poll numbers, he's winning bigly million billion, I know. But if mm -hmm. Trump happened to not be our nominee, I feel like there's a rare, very real possibility that Trump and his supporters would implore other Republicans to just not vote at all. I feel like that's where this is going. It's like, if it's not our guy, then let's just burn the whole system down and just opt out. And that's essentially reelecting Joe Biden. And I, I'm afraid that some of our fellow Republicans, conservatives, might be willing to go down that road just because they, they love Donald Trump so much. It, it is, I hate using the word cult-like, but in some instances, it's a little cult-like. You know, what's crazy about it is I think that there's a there's a lot of that on both sides, whether it be, a you know, the DeSantis group or the Trump group. I see it across social media, people saying that at the end of the day, what people go in and do in that voting booth is, is ultimately up to them, how they choose to vote, whether they choose to leave the president and vote down ballot or whatever they choose to do. I hope that's not the case. But there is a major rift within uh, the the active conservative movement and it needs to be healed. Um, and and we don't get there by by the vitriol that's being flung back and forth between sides. We get there by, you know, policy debates, substantive discussions about that stuff. And that doesn't happen anymore. And it's troubling. You're right. What do you make of the rise of Nikki Haley? I mean, it it hurts to get it out of my mouth because I feel like I'm talking about the rise of Hillary Clinton or Liz Cheney. Um, but Nikki Haley, she's quite confident in herself. She is going up. In, in most every poll, it seems like she's getting a bump. I don't know what we attribute that to, because in my opinion, her last debate performance made her look like Hillary Clinton with an R behind her name. What do you yeah. think, and do you believe the polls that would suggest she's doing much better? No, my first thought was what rise? I don't think she has any real rise whatsoever. I mean, maybe in New Hampshire, New Hampshire, just a little bit, a couple points perhaps, but... Listen, I live in South Carolina. 
I'm going to tell you something right now. Nobody here wants Nikki Haley to be president. Nobody. And she was the <laughs> governor of this state. Um, she has barely any state legislatures that are tours that are endorsing her here in South Carolina. And there's a good reason for that. She's a hypocrite and she would do anything, say anything to get ahead. As a matter of fact, I think the DeSantis war room today had a really good video of her just contradicting herself on issues. I don't think Americans in general who are engaged in the primary process look at Nikki Haley and say, yeah, this is the person that we want to run with. The backlash against both Americans for Prosperity and Sununu after endorsing her was widespread. And um, I'm not really worried about it. Truthfully, I'm not looking at the landscape. She doesn't really scare me. And I don't think that any, you know, fake inflation in the polls is something that we need to worry about. The polls are nonsense. None of them are correct. Literally none. So I've been talking about this for a few weeks. I, I believe Trump is ahead in the primary. I don't believe he's ahead by 50 points or 60 points or 70 points, as yeah. some people would suggest. Um what, how do you account for that, for these inflated poll numbers? What do you think is driving that? Is it is it anything substantive? Yeah, I mean, people don't answer their phones anymore. Um, <laughs> and it's really hard to get people to respond. And then if you're doing, you know, polls via email or things like that, you're not getting you're not getting quality. And, you know, if you're being paid, which a lot of these, you know, different pollsters are to perform for a campaign, at least on an outwardly basis, there are a million different ways from Sunday. You can get a poll to look however you want, no matter what you want the result to be. Ask a question using different wording, you'll get a completely different result. So I've been reading into all these cross tabs. It, they're just unrealistic and silly. And it's unfortunate because a lot of people use the polls to make their decisions about where they're going to go in, in a primary or a general election. And I think we're going to need actual elections to happen before we can kind of blow up this polling narrative that's taken hold. 70 percent is is really ridiculous. Just, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I don't think it does. I, I think that we're going to be probably surprised by what happens in Iowa. I I've said it before, I wouldn't be surprised if Ron DeSantis did take Iowa. He spent the time there. He's done the work there. So I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, I want to turn now to something that you've been covering, and that's some of these various lawsuits. Now, lawsuits normally are, are tiring, uh, nauseating, really. <laughs> but some of these recent ones actually, to me, signal that there are some conservatives, some freedom-minded patriots out there that actually do want to buck the system and make some changes. Let's start first with Twitter X versus Media Matters. Boy, I, I love this one. What do you think is going to happen here? Oh, this is a very, very strong case here against Media Matters. Um, Media Matters basically gamed the system on X to make it appear as though advertisements were appearing next to uh, extremist-like content, anti-Semitic content. The way they did this is really interesting, and it's a model they've replicated over and over again. They created an account, they followed the advertisers, then they followed the accounts they thought were extremist and anti-Semitic, and just constantly refreshed their timeline until a an ad from one of the advertisers they were following also popped up next to this person who they're also following on their timeline. Then they screenshot that, they send it out, they write media, media picks it up and replicates it. You know the model, the propaganda model that mm -hmm. they always use. And then they they use that to get advertisers to stop advertising on X because X is showing their content 
next to or their ads next to things that they probably wouldn't want to be associated with. But the kicker on this one is that obviously X has the the analytics, so they know how many people saw this combination. One, the people that <laughs> created it, yeah. right? And they have the data. So this is a very strong lawsuit. Um, Media Matters has to respond by February 6th. And I'm going to be covering that in detail because we are winning. There's plenty of this going on all across the, uh, the, the, the legal landscape. Let's turn to another one that I think might be even better, and that's the great state of Texas versus Big Pharma, really. Oh, yeah. Calling BS on uh, that wonderful, super effective, prevents infection and spread, um, so they say. The clot <laughs> shot, as I call it. This yeah. will be censored, so... Here we go. But let's talk about that because I'm glad that the state of Texas is doing something, but I feel like there's a lot of lawsuits that get filed and then nothing ever comes of them and no one's ever held accountable, especially when it comes to big pharma. I can't think of many instances where big pharma has ever been held accountable. Well, listen to this one. It's a little different. It's not what you'd expect. It's false advertising. What Texas is going after Pfizer on is saying that the shot was 95% effective when they knew that it wasn't. So basically false advertising on their product right out of the mouth of their CEO all over the world. And so it's a different angle. It's not liability as in you harmed people, even though we both know that we could definitely go that route, right? It's it's a different way to take on pharma where they don't have as much protection as they would if we were talking about something like, well, you're a vaccine or whatever you want to call it caused, you know, myocarditis in children. It's not that. So what they're saying is when Pfizer said that their their shot was 95% effective, they lied to the public and they did so knowingly. And that the way they came up with the 95% number is by using the relative risk reduction instead of the absolute risk reduction. So the absolute risk reduction for the, the showing the efficacy of this thing with only two months of data, which isn't enough anyway, right. was 0.85%. But if you flip those numbers around and massage them the way you want, you get a 95% relative risk reduction in that same group. Then you go out and you parade that around. But the problem is the F the um the FDA doesn't really want people to use relative risk because it basically strips in informed consent. It makes something look nicer and prettier and you know more like a Christmas present than it actually is. And then people aren't inquiring about its safety or its efficacy for real because they think, oh, 95%, wow, this thing is really gonna work. No, it didn't really work. They knew it didn't work. And they knew that there was negative efficacy as they were marketing this around. They also are being attacked for saying that it that Borla was up there saying, this is you know 100% effective yep. against this South African variant. They never tested it against variants. They knew they never tested it against variants and made the claim anyway. So that's why I think this one's a lot stronger than we're used to, a lot. Oh, I, I certainly hope so. And you're right about it. I mean, it seems like it would be a strong case, but I just feel like with all the special interests out there, with all of the lawmakers who are in the pocket of big pharma, Republicans, Democrats, independents, I just feel like we're never going to get any accountability, not just for this, but for COVID as a whole. It feels like there will never be anybody that holds these COVID tyrants, these COVID wardens, to account for anything. The only person I've seen do that beyond Texas, which they're trying, I applaud them, is Governor Ron DeSantis. He, he feel, it feels like he's really the only one and his Surgeon General, really the only ones that have taken Big Pharma to task 
Do you think that we're ever going to see this period, which was essentially a three-year period that ruined people's lives, do you ever think we're going to see the day where these people pay for what they've done? Well, what you're saying is absolutely true. And that's why I, I kind of put my flag in this hill. I mean, we reported so extensively on everything COVID. I'm a contributor for the high wire. I mean, this is kind of the center of my universe, this issue. I've lost friends. I've lost family. This is not just something that we can throw by the way. So, oh, it happened. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's not that issue. And when people get angry with me about where I'm placing my support this primary, I say, this is the issue we must have accountability for. And I, like you, only see one person talking about it. The debates, they will they won't even ask questions about it. It's like they want to memory hold this absolute travesty that we went through. Every single person on this planet has been affected by this. There's not one person, young or old, that hasn't been directly impacted by what happened with COVID. And there must be accountability for it somehow. Yeah. Do you think part of the reason that nobody really wants to tackle this in terms of media in terms of maybe other lawmakers, other people that could have impact on, on holding accountability? Do you think that because so many people went along with this, because they were largely forced to, do you think that they're concerned places that had vaccine mandates, that didn't want to have vaccine mandates, but they were pressured or forced to, places that, that shut down or locked down for longer than they should have, do you think that there is just a general posse of people who knew this was wrong, but they feel like they also were party to it, that they want to make this all go away so that they don't have to take any accountability for it either? Oh, that's certainly part of it, 100%. Yeah, but but luckily, there's more of us than there are of them. Um, and that's why we're even able to talk about this right now freely, whereas like a year and a half ago, we probably wouldn't have been able to talk about it freely. But Tracy, are any... we able to talk about it freely? Are I mean, we I able do. to? Because because <laughs> I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this, be fully transparent, I, I don't BS, this whole segment, we're going to have to cut this part out Why? because it's not going to be able to go on YouTube. So this is going to air in places that care about free speech, outkick.com. It's going to air on X, but it's not going to be able to, this part is not going to be able to go on YouTube because we will be flagged for it and we will have our account face repercussions for even talking about very real legitimate things, even bringing up the lawsuit, which is a very real thing, even discussing it can't go on YouTube. So we could talk about it freely into the ether, but there are still platforms that will punish us for mentioning it. You know what's interesting about what you just said? I'm, I'm also really closely following the case of Missouri v. Biden, right? Yep. And one of the lawyers involved in that case, um, while speaking on behalf of the government, was censored on YouTube in the middle of this ongoing case. And that was brought up as an example in front of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals when they were talking about the stay, barring the government mm -hmm. from doing this sort of a thing anymore. And the justices actually commented on that very thing. They couldn't believe it. So as we're seeing, obviously, Rumble is growing. Other platforms are growing. We have independent websites. Yeah, are we censored some places? Yes. But before Elon Musk, we couldn't have had this conversation on Twitter or X, as we call it now. I'm right. looking at the positives. I'm kind of a glass half full girl. Um, and so I'm just going to keep on hitting the pinata until it breaks open. I don't care how long it takes. No, I'm right there with you. I mean, along with you, I, I was... Well, I believe one of the loudest voices during COVID speaking out against masking and vaccines. You know that Missouri case, 
The White House directly tried to censor me on Facebook. Yep. Uh, Flaherty had a, a real thing for me, multiple <laughs> times mentioning my name, talking yep. about how I needed to be reduced, the algorithm need to be jimmied in such a way that my content wasn't as readily available. I hope we're going to see some accountability, but I'm very concerned that there are too many people with their hands in the pocket and I don't know if we're ever going to see true accountability, certainly not from China, but even just from the United States would be nice. I'm glad that you're optimistic about it. I'm glad that you're <laughs> also out there hammering away at this because we can never forget. The moment we forget about this, the moment that we lay down our sword is the moment that this happens again, whether it be a virus or they claim climate change is an emergency or, I don't know, rainbow attacks are an emergency. Who knows? That's my biggest concern. So I appreciate you for, for going after this and needling away at it. It's certainly important. Thank you so much for all the information. Please come back in the new year and let's talk about some of these cases again. I would be honored. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you guys. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. God bless. All right, folks, starting on January 3rd, the only place to catch OutKick's original and fearless shows live and uncensored will be on our website, OutKick.com. So head to the Watch tab so you don't miss a beat. All right. Kamala has trouble with words. Gen Z has trouble with menus and illegal immigrants are flying Biden air to wherever they damn well please. And on your dime, it's time for my final thoughts and my losers of the week. It's been another taxing week for Vice President Kamala Harris. Tens of thousands of illegals have poured across our southern border. Her poll numbers and approval rating are still underwater. Oh, and she battled words again. Take a listen to this important moment in time, the most importantest. You know, every election cycle we talk about this is the most election of our lifetime. Lawrence, this one is. This one is. It is the most wonderful time of the year, and you heard Kamala, it's the most election of our lifetime. Now, we all get a little tongue-tied from time to time, so let's give her the benefit of the doubt and assume that she meant to say it's the most important election of our lifetime. But as for this next nugget, well, she meant what she said, and she said what she meant. You're on at 10 o'clock at night, so I'm going to assume that adults are watching, Lawrence. And I'm just we have to be real on this. In our country right now, there are women having miscarriages in toilets. Hmm. A very real and widespread problem, no doubt, Kamala. But since Kamala is, of course, the borders are, I wonder what she would say the root cause is of illegals, majority single military-age male illegals, boarding taxpayer-funded flights all around our nation. I'm at the Phoenix airport right now. I'm waiting to board my flight to New York, uh, to JFK. And it looks like we have a whole lot of migrants who are also boarding this flight that the U.S. taxpayers are paying for. This is what the U.S. taxpayers are paying for right here. Premium seats on Delta that they have people coming here. We're paying for this, shipping them out to New York City because guess what? Everywhere else is at capacity. So they have these sanctuary cities like New York that they're now shipping these migrants to that we're all paying for. Pretty crazy to imagine in a post 9-11 world that the Democrats who run our country are allowing thousands of unvetted illegals to board planes and go wherever they please. You might not be able to afford to fly home to see your family this holiday season, but rest assured that thousands of illegals are catching flights and you're paying for it. Merry Christmas to all and let's go, Brandon. 
Moving on to my final losers this week, an entire generation by the name of Z. Just when you thought Gen Z couldn't get any more embarrassing, well, wait to hear the newest crisis. Adulting is apparently very difficult for Gen Z. Emails, nine to five work hours, showing up to the office, all traumatizing for that generation. But here's a new one. According to everyone's favorite communist social media platform, TikTok, Generation Z is also triggered by too many menu options at restaurants. Listen, why do I look at a menu for hours before I ever walk into the physical restaurant? Great question, I would love to tell you. I have menu anxiety. I'm the kind of person who stares at a menu for 20 minutes and then ends up choosing the same meal every single time. Not only do I scan the menu, I cross-check the Instagram. I see what tagged pictures there are of the food. I pick what I'm going to have for my starter, my main, my dessert, and my drink. Yes, TikTok users are posting these confessionals explaining how overwhelming it is to go to a restaurant with a large menu and make a decision. They also note that interacting with wait staff in person or even over the phone is also a daunting task. Perhaps this is why gen- this generation gravitates towards socialism and communism because they appreciate fewer choices to have to make. I'll tell you what. If this is the kind of fragility we are getting from Gen Zers, can you imagine if they were ever confronted with a military draft or something truly painstaking? I blame the parents. And those are my losers of the week. Merry Christmas to all, and from Nashville, God bless and take care.